Let's read Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. And this is God's word to us. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So this is a clearly a psalm of praise, if you didn't catch on. It's repeated almost 13 times in this um, short six-verse psalm. And it, I'm going to be honest with you, especially given some of the um, tumult and um, just tragic um, chaos and frustration that's happening um, around us in our everyday lives, it can be really hard for this psalm to feel authentic and to feel like it's actually connecting to our everyday lives because it's just kind of it's this um really glib like praise the lord right i this isn't this doesn't happen in denver where i'm from but when i moved out here i realized how often people actually use that phrase praise the lord and when do they use it they use it maybe when something good happens to them it's just kind of like an exclamation um this is, this is Eugene Peterson, he's, a, he's an old pastor, who um, named that type of use of that word or that phrase as God speak. And he's kind of saying, like, it's Christianese. It's stuff that we say, but we don't realize what we are saying. And so um, I want to read a quote from him so that we can kind of orient ourselves to, to this psalm. And then I'm going to talk about the entire book of Psalms. So this is from Eugene Peterson. He says, This is not a word of praise slapped onto whatever mess we are in at the moment. This crafted conclusion for the Psalms tells us that our prayers are going to end in praise, but that it is also going to take a while. Don't rush it. It may take years, decades even, before certain prayers arrive at the hallelujahs of Psalms 146 through 150. Not every prayer is capped off with praise. In fact, most prayers, if the Psalter is a true guide, are not. But prayer, a praying life, finally becomes praise. Prayer is always reaching towards praise and will finally arrive there if we persist in prayer, laugh and cry, doubt and believe, struggle and dance, and then struggle again. We will surely end up at Psalm 150, on our feet, applauding, encore, encore. So Eugene Peterson, he's onto something here where we can use this psalm in a way that is God talk or God speak, Christianese, in a way that's kind of glib and disconnected from the reality of our lives in a fallen world. Or we can view this psalm as our ultimate destination. And as we do that, it will actually transform our prayers, all of them, the, our laments, our cries of brokenness, our cries for justice, our cries for retribution, our cries for God to show up. Those will be transformed into praise, but 
It's a process. It's a journey. And we know that because the whole book of Psalms echoes that journey. The book of Psalms is actually structured into five different mini books. And at the end of each of those mini books is a small, what is known as a doxology, which is just words of praise to God. They're good words offered to God. And so I'm just going to run through these really quick um, because they, they're telling us something about the trajectory of the book of Psalms. So book one is Psalms 1 through 41, and that book ends with verse 13 of Psalm 41. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Book two, Psalms 42 through 72, ends this way. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Book three ends this way. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Book four, which is Psalms 90 through 106, ends this way. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the conclusion of the entire book of Psalms is verse six of the Psalm we're looking at today. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so if you view the book of Psalms as a journey, beginning with Psalm 1, which we started with in this series, where it's explaining how to live the blessed life and how to root yourself by the streams of living water, how to root yourself by God and connect yourself to the source of all life and what that actually looks like. Beginning there, we learn that the blessed life takes on many shapes and it goes through persecution, it goes through suffering, it goes through sin, it goes through repentance, it goes through forgiveness, it goes through tribulation, and it goes through mourning. And through all of that are dropped in reminders that you are on your way to praise. And so we're going to learn a few things about why we are on our way to praise by looking at Psalm 150. We're going to learn where we should praise God, why we should praise God, how to praise God, and who should praise God. So let's look at um, ver or this first verse. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So we are learning here where we should praise God. And the first, um, the first place where we need to praise him is to praise him in his sanctuary. So this is a specific location where the dwelling place of God is. And so you're coming into God's presence, and for, um, in, in the case of the Old Testament people, it was the tabernacle and the temple. And so they would come to praise God where God was. It's in the holiness of hol is the holiest of holies. It is um, praising him in his presence. For us, we might, if we're going to kind of make this contextualized to us, we might think of this as church. We're coming together as the people of God, worshiping God together. So praise him there. Praise him when you do that. And I think for, for many of us, especially if we grew up in the church, this is the most natural um, idea that we have of praise. We know that when we come together for worship, we're praising God. We're saying good things about God. We're rejoicing in who he is. But it doesn't stop there. That's not the only place. When you leave the sanctuary, you're also called to praise God. 
And so verse two tells, or the second half of verse one tells us, praise him in his mighty heavens. And so this is a, um, a statement about the universal aspect of praising God. We are to praise him everywhere. There's no place in heaven or on earth where we're not called to praise God. And so it's not just Sunday mornings, but it's with your whole life. You're offering up your life as a living sacrifice, and that is your spiritual worship, as we read in Romans 12. So there's a universal element to where we should praise God. Okay, so why should we praise God? Well, verse 2 gives us two reasons. And the first is the most natural again. It's, it comes very naturally to us. We praise him for his mighty deeds. When we connect with the work that God has done on our behalf, and we re receive that work, we receive a blessing from him, we naturally want to praise him. And that's a good thing. And we can do that both for in remembering the good things that God has done for us in the past, connecting it to our present and acknowledging what God is doing for us even now, and also looking through at the future and what God will do for us as he comes to return um, in the person of Jesus and establish his kingdom forever and ever for his people. And this is, this is a pretty easy one. When we get something good from God, we want to praise him. We want to thank him for it. We want to acknowledge how great God is. But again, it doesn't stop there. Something that's even better than praising God for what he has done for us is praising God for who he is. Because if you are in a season, and we learn this in the book of Psalms, if you're in a season of pain and of mourning and of frustration, discouragement, if you're in that season, the question you have to ask yourself is, God any less worthy of your praise? Does that season change who God is? And we all know like the theological answer to that, but practically our hearts, um, we, don't, we don't naturally praise God in those times. When you're texting your friend and you're in one of those just periods of discouragement for whatever reason, maybe you didn't get the promotion you were hoping for, um, maybe your kids are really giving you trouble. Um, do you naturally end that text chain with PTL? No, you don't. You don't naturally want to praise the Lord in those seasons because our hearts are just selfish. We want the good things of what God can do for us, but then we forget that the best thing is who God is. And so this psalm is teaching us we are going to praise God not only for the good he's done, but we are going to praise God for who he is. His excellent greatness. And then verses 3 through 5 teach us how we should be praising God. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud and clashing cymbals. And this is not, um, we don't have cymbals today, so I guess we are not obeying the psalm. No, I'm just kidding. We, this is not instructive into how, what kind of music we should be playing it's not telling us the specific instruments that we must use in worship. What it's saying is it's giving us an exhaustive list of what 
type of music is used to praise the Lord. And so it's, it's saying no matter what you're doing, no matter how, um, how you're living, no matter what you're doing in your normal day, praise the Lord. Praise him in everything that you're doing. So God wants us to praise him in everything. But then another thing that's just kind of a nuance of, of all of these, this list of musical instruments is that God wants us to do it with skill. He wants us to work and to labor to praise him. He doesn't want our praise to be haphazard. And again, I'm not talking about the music, although that is true of it too. I'm talking about our whole lives of praise. Our whole lives lived in praise. God wants us to labor and to think about what we're doing. Your job, for instance. So if you are seeing your job as praising the Lord, going to work as, an, as a work of praising God, you're going to want to do that really well. You're going to want to do it with excellence so that it honors the Lord. If, you're, um, if your praise, your day-to-day praise, is in raising children, you're going to want to do that well. You're going to want to do it to the best of your ability because you're offering it to God. It's not just when you're in, in church on Sunday. It's not just when you have on worship music. It's every breath you take. It's every, it's every time that you speak a word to another image bearer. You're praising God. So that's how we are praising God. And then finally, the psalm culminates in who should praise him. And this is especially in the context of um, both the Old Testament and then also our context. It's a beautiful reminder of how God values every single image bearer and his desire to be worshipped in all of the nations. And the idea of every, everything that has breath praising the Lord is overwhelming, quite honestly. If you can imagine that for a minute, um, if you can imagine the multitudes of people the entire creation itself calling out in praise of God with one voice in harmony, that gives us a glimpse of our destination. And that's just going to be so overwhelming. And it's going to be overwhelming for a couple of reasons. One, because it's just going to be beautiful. But then the second reason why it's going to be overwhelming is because it is going to come at the conclusion of a life lived in a fallen world. So the object of our praise, the Lord that we are praising, is a God who has taken on flesh, who came and subjected himself into, to a fallen world. These are actually, the Psalms are actually his prayers. And Jesus, as he lived as a human, he learned these prayers. And he didn't pray them abstractly. He prayed them in the midst of suffering, just like we suffer, in the midst of temptation, just like we suffer. And he experienced that to a degree that we just haven't and won't. And at the end, of course, he's praying psalms on the cross, 
And so when we come before God, we are praying a God, praying to a God and praising a God with scars. We are praising a God who knows what it's like to live in a fallen world and what it's like to be, um, to be subjected to the powers of evil and the powers of sin. Listen to what one theologian says about this ultimate destination of our praise. He says, when the rightful king returns to Eden, all the energies pent up while sin abounded and death reigned will explode in an endless burgeoning as creation itself hastens to lay its tribute at the feet of him whose right it is to reign. And so this psalm is written for us not so that we can have um, Christian-y words to say at the end of a bad day, but it's written to us to remind us of our ultimate destination and of the promise that God has given us, that we are not worshiping um, a God who is disconnected from that, but we are worshiping a God who understands the journey of life, pursuing him, with him, in a fallen world, and all that that, that encompasses. And so, how can you actually how can you actually implement this into into your life right now? This is very kind of like wonderful and abstract, but it's hard to see like how does this impact me right now? And I think the biggest takeaway that I've had um, in kind of reflecting and studying on this, and especially doing it in a season that's just kind of really disorienting, is that remember that all of your prayers right now will turn to praise. And so don't break off of, if you're in a season where you're lamenting and you're just feeling, you're just down and it doesn't feel natural to praise, don't break off from the lament, but push into it and know that what God is doing through history and through his work in your life is he's going to take that lament and turn it to praise. And so be encouraged by that. Be encouraged that um, that lament is heard by God and that that lament will follow this pathway that the Psalms lays for us and it will end in praise. And that will actually help you praise the Lord even as you're lamenting a situation or lamenting um, a period of dryness or whatever it is. And so that, that's kind of the encouragement that I want to give to you is that know that when you are praying to God, that he is going to take that prayer, he hears it, and he transforms it into praise in a way that's more wonderful than we could ever imagine. Um, please pray with me, and then we're going to enter into a time of, of prayer corporately as a church um, for, for just the situation that's happening right now and all of the tension and all of the injustice that we are just kind of starting to become aware of more and more every day. Um, but first I want to close us in prayer and then we'll enter into that time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for these psalms. Um, God, we do thank you that you are worthy of all praise, that you, that you are by your nature as um, a triune, beautiful, and perfect God that we can praise you. Um, and God, we also thank you that that is not that's not something that ultimately will be abstract at all, but that we will get to do 
um, that we will get to do in the flesh, and we will get to see your son, and we will get to know you in a much fuller way. And as we do that, we're not doing it alone, isolated, but we're doing it with your people and with your creation. God, we long for that. We want that. We, our hearts yearn for it. And so, Lord, help us to pursue that even here and now on this earth that's imperfect and broken. And God, I ask that you would, for all of us, that you would transform our hearts as we, as we are praying your psalms, as we, are, as we are communing with you as your people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so something I wanted to do um, today is to lead us in a time of reflecting and praying specifically for the racial tensions, the injustice, the, um, the brutality that is just kind of front and center. And I want to remind us of a couple things. One, that this is not, um, this isn't new, that this is connected to a long history. Um, this is not something that is occasional, but it's something that's systemic and has been constant in the history of our country. And yet what we're seeing right now is a season where our focus is on it. And so I honestly, the more I talk about it, the, um, the more foolish I'm going to sound. I don't have words right now. I'm still processing. I'm still trying to listen and to see. Um, and so I do want to, to lead us, though, in reflecting on, I think, an appropriate psalm for this time. God's, God's word speaks to this much more perfectly. And so I'm going to read Psalm 94 and then lead us in a little bit of a time of prayer as we, um, as we respond to it and as we just seek God's action in, in our midst. So this is Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. 
when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Heavenly Father, these are, these are powerful words. Your voice comes through to us, and it reminds us of our need for you. That you alone are righteous, that you alone can establish perfect justice. And not only can you do that, Lord, but you are going to do it. And so, God, that gives us great hope. That and it also creates in us a deep longing that as we consider all of the different people who are oppressed consistently, who feel the weight of power coming down against them wickedly, that you see that, Lord, that you will establish perfect justice. And God, we as your people have a special role as we know what your justice brings. Lord, outside of the salvation that's provided for in your son, none of us is righteous. All of us are left condemned. We have all been tainted by the stench of sin and death that's in this world. And God, even as we consider a a terrible way that that has happened in our country for way too long. And even as we are working and longing for reformation to see our country live in a more just way, we know, Lord, as your people, that until you return, we are going to continue to work for that and continue to yearn for it and to long for it. And so, God, I ask that you would place our hearts on you, that we would trust you right now, that we would not place our trust in things that man can do, but only what you can do through your son. And God, even as we're doing that, we praise you that you are a God of justice and that your perfect justice will flow down and that it will bring relief to the oppressed and it will bring relief to your people and it will create a world that is free of sin, a free of oppressive systems, free of hatred, free of oppression against image bearers. And Lord, help us to mourn, to lament, to not remain distant or calloused to the suffering around us. Help us to remain sensitive to where we are still spoiled in our hearts by sin, by the sin of racism, by the sin of seeing one ethnicity as superior to another. Lord, help us to repent. 
We want the blessedness that comes from your rebuke and from your discipline. Help us to do that. And God, help us to hold on to hope that our hope ultimately is in you and you alone, God, and that you have given us um, the immeasurable gift of your son as the substance and power of our hope. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.